how many of you like routines? You know, we can become creatures of habit. For some of you, maybe it's you wake up, you do the same thing every morning. A couple of weeks back, Pastor Michael called out how our staff meetings every Tuesday uh, result in a very similar routine. For athletes, many times they have a routine. Maybe you've heard of this guy named Sidney Crosby. I'm going to give you a list of pregame rituals he does. He eats the same type of peanut butter sandwich at 5 p.m. before every game. He keeps his stick at his own stall instead of with the rest of the teams. He walks around one specific garbage can in the dressing room before they go onto the ice. He stick handles through the golden McDonald's arches on the ice before every game. He will not touch the soccer ball before the warm-up game of keep-up. He tapes and retapes his stick every period, and no one can touch his stick once he's taped it. He never passes the visitor's locker room on his way into an arena. He has a specific uh, you know, type of stretches and routine he does. He has a special handshake with his friend Malkin before the game, and he is always the second last one to leave the ice. His gear has to be laid out a certain way, and he does not talk to his mom or his sister on game days because he says he always gets injured when he does. His stick cannot go next to a goalie stick on the road, and he wears the same hat for the entire season without washing it. Those are just weird and gross. There's also a hockey team called the Detroit Red Wings. They have a kind of weird tradition that when someone gets a hat trick, instead of throwing hats on the ice, they throw an octopus. The NHL's tried to stop this, but it, it just keeps happening. Now, I totally get that these traditions are very weird. And from the outside looking in, I just think, you know, whatever, you do you. But we also have weird traditions that, you know, others may think are weird. We have rules that we've created that we follow because Maybe it's how it's always been done, or it's how our parents said so. And some have legitimate value, while others are just what we're comfortable with. Now, we're going to be talking about the Pharisees today, and they had traditions they lived by. You know, they weren't causing harm to people, but disagreements began when other people's morals and relationships with God were questions as human traditions began to be broken. So let's pray today. Dear Lord, I pray the words I speak are not mine, but yours. Holy Spirit, be with us today. Amen. So we're going to read through Mark 7 is what we're starting at today. And it says, One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they do not eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, You hypocrites! 
Isaiah was great when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own traditions. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many other things. So today I've titled the message, The Start of Something New. Because the Pharisees and teachers of the law were getting stuck in the old way of doing things. And doing things by their rules and justified by how it had always been done for them. Their desire for following their man-made rules were superseding the working of God and the hope being brought through Jesus. Mark chapter 7 is all about being open. Open to new ways of thinking. Open to new groups of people. Being open to the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is not meant to be for a selective group. It's an openness for all people, no matter where they've come from. God wants to reach to the ends of the earth to have his love and joy and peace shared with the world. We as well are called to show that openness as people come as they are to Christ, not needed to meet a certain dress code or expectations in behavior. And so in Mark 7, Jesus is going head to head with the Pharisees. When the Pharisees ask why the disciples are not washing their hands, it is a rhetorical question. They don't, they don't actually care about the answer because they think it's unjustified. The question is actually meant to be a statement to Jesus to point out that his friends are messing up and that they're not portraying what a proper person would do. However, Jesus' response is equally passionate. Jesus does not play coy. He's not wondering if he misinterpreted the question. He responds with a statement back to the Pharisees about how their behavior has not changed since the times of, the, of Israel in the Old Testament. Jesus refers to Isaiah 29, saying that they continue to be focused on the wrong things. And so point one, so in our walk with God, we are called to focus on God. We struggle with this sometimes just as the Pharisees do. We get so focused on what we think is right or wrong because that's how it's always been done. Maybe you've had a situation before where you're trying to something new, working with someone who's done this for a while, and you do something, and their response is, that's not how that's done. So you ask, oh, okay, how is it done? And they'll show you another way. And you ask, hey, maybe can we try this new way? Maybe this new way is faster. Maybe it's cheaper. Maybe it's just more inventive. And the person scared to change says no, because that's not how you do it. Because we get into our traditions, our patterns, our comfort. And any form of change is faced with criticism because it's scary. It's difficult. 
And it's not how we're used to doing it. But when you're walking into a new situation, ask yourself these questions. Why do we do what we do? What if we do it another way? And who is this about? Why did the Pharisees do what they did? Because it gave them status. It set them apart. It made them above others. The Pharisees and teachers of the law set expectations that they would abide by. And their traditions became more important than the purpose of why the tradition started in the first place. Traditions are not usually set with wrong intentions. Usually they're created with the best of intentions. This ceremonial cleaning was meant to give your best to God, to bring yourself before God in a way that glorified him first. However, it had lost all meaning. So was there another way to do that? By appearance, yes. The disciples at their, f- you know, ate their food without the ceremonial cleansing. It didn't mean they didn't pray, you know, before the food, blessing it before they ate it. Didn't mean they weren't thankful. They were able to focus on what really mattered about glorifying God. And who is this all about? Well, the fight was about Jesus. The fight was that Jesus didn't follow their rules. The fight was that there were rules of doing things and Jesus kept doing his own thing. You know, this year in youth, we've changed things up a bit. Someone had said, hey, Nikki, why don't we meet upstairs in the auditorium because there's more space? We could even have sack up there. And my answer at first was, well, we meet downstairs because that's how it's always been done. But that's not actually a great answer. It's not an okay answer. It's actually just a really bad answer. (laughs) We have traditions in the church some of us have been raised with. Some of us are, you know, like would love to keep them. And some are good to keep, but others aren't as great to keep. If we never changed how even singing happened in the church, we'd still be chanting. If we never thought about programming, kids' church wouldn't exist. Think coffee ministry at one point was not a thing. Some traditions are great. But the question is, does our need for traditions supersede our mission? We depend on God for the heart and the truth of what we stand for. But Christ, he gives us a lot of leeway in the details of how. Point number two, focus on ourselves. Jesus is calling out our hypocrisy. We worry about other behavior when our hearts are struggling. In Matthew 7, 3, it says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Isaiah 29 says, People honor with their lips, but their hearts are far away. What are our priorities as Christians? Is it to pursue God and bring others to Christ? Or is it about following the ways that look right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had gotten so stuck in their ways that instead of hearing from Jesus, they keep trying to trap him. We can get so focused on what others are wearing, how they speak, their demeanor in church, if they're worshiping enough, that we come to judge at church instead of worship. Remember, Matthew 7 is about being open. And and when the church says it is open, it means it is open to all. No matter how much we, you know, worry that we may not fit in. I'll be honest right here. I've said some ridiculous things that I wish I could take back. Whether it's speaking at youth or even on a Sunday. I've said things I probably shouldn't have said or should have said in a different way. Not with any ill intention or wrong motive, but because my mouth sometimes works quicker than my brain does. 
And I've said things that sound good until I check it with scripture and realize maybe I should have looked closer. Here's a great thing about Jesus. There's forgiveness and reconciliation. And once we've asked for forgiveness truly, he's focused on what we do next instead of living in our past. Jesus does not want us to sit in the mud. He does not want us to be stuck in our mess. He calls us to live higher callings and to pursue greater things with him. However, pulling ourselves out of the mud doesn't happen by throwing someone else in it. There's a great sense of purpose when we can help someone come to understand their worth in Christ than when we tell them that they aren't measuring up in God's expectations. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction. Our job is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, walking with others, bringing the fruits of the Spirit. And so number three, it talks about what comes out. So we'll continue in Mark. It says, then Jesus called to the crowds to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowds, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he said. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. And then he added, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustfulness, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. There was a survey written in April 2022, and it identified that Many Canadians believe that evangelical Christianity is more damaging to society than beneficial. Although we could say that's due to misunderstandings or misrepresentation or blame it on media portraying Christians a certain way, there's a responsibility for Christians. We have a statement we stand by here at CT Brandon. We love God and we love people. Our actions represent those first over anything else. If we look at the passage in Matthew 22, where this is written, where we get it from, it again is the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus to say the wrong thing. However, Jesus doesn't answer the question by picking a commandment that's best. He says, you want to follow them? Then you love God and you love people and the rest follows. When we hear the words, what defiles us, it sounds gross. It sounds messy. But instead of focusing on what not to do, God asks us to focus on what to do. Instead of focusing on not being greedy, focus on being giving. Instead of focusing on malice, think about joy. Instead of deceit, bring truth. Instead of envy or slander, think love. The fruits of the Spirit in Galatians talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When someone omits those characteristics, that's the type of person you want to be around. When I show those characteristics, I am living out God's calling in my life. When we focus on legalism and following rules too much, we forget about our call to be part of other people's lives, 
to be part of a community, to be part of bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. Jesus spoke a lot through his actions. When we see him defending those who are weak, when we see him speaking to those who are considered unlovable, when we see him acting in ways that are selfless and that establish the priorities in life. Mark 7 is about being open. Are we open to what God wants to do within us? Maybe it's not the usual way. Maybe it's not ministering the people that look like us. Maybe it's focusing more on God's hope, joy, and love going forward instead of a list of to-dos. I want to pray with you today. And, and you've heard me say that I've messed up and said things that looking back, I wish I could have said better. I think as Christians, many would admit we've made mistakes. But we're not identified by our mistakes. Instead, we can look forward instead of asking what defiles us, asking what can we do that brings the kingdom of God closer. So today I want to do something different. We're going to do this thing called a prayer confession. And it's something Jesus calls us to do. It's a practice that, yeah, is done as a group. And it's actually considered a spiritual discipline that we don't always like to acknowledge because sometimes it feels awkward. Anyways, we are going to pray this prayer together today. So, O Holy One, we call to you and name you as eternal, ever-present, and boundless in love. Yet there are times, O God, when we fail to recognize you in the dailiness of our lives. Sometimes shame clenches tightly around our hearts, and we hide our true feelings. Sometimes fear makes us small, and we miss the chance to speak from our strength. Sometimes doubt invades our hopefulness, and we degrade our own wisdom. Holy God, in the daily round from sunrise to sunset, remind us again of your holy presence hovering near us and in us. Free us from shame and self-doubt. Help us to see you in the moment-by-moment possibilities to live honestly, to act courageously, and to speak from our wisdom. Amen. I hope you felt encouraged today and you feel inspired for what God's going to be doing in you in this next week. Be open to how God wants to work in you. He wants to do great things.